The retirement and IRA show represents the words and views of the show hosts exclusively and should not be construed as investment, legal, or tax advice. All information is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. All economic and performance information is historical in nature and is not indicative of any future results. Any indices mentioned on the show are unmanaged and cannot be invested indirectly. Diversification and asset allocation strategies do not assure profit or protect against loss. Never make any investment or financial decisions based on information offered on this show without first consulting your financial, legal, or tax advisor. Financial planning services offered through Jim Solnier and Associates, LLC, a registered investment advisor. This is the Retirement and IRA Show coming to you from beautiful northern Colorado. Join us as certified financial planner Jim Saunier, as well as Colorado State University finance instructor and certified financial planner Chris Stein, teach you about IRAs, 401ks, annuities, social security, pension plans, and estate planning in a fun and enjoyable show. Whether you are listening live in Colorado or streaming from their website or iTunes podcast, Jim and Chris want you to know that they're available to help you plan for your retirement. Just visit their website at jimhelps.com. That's Jim, H-E-L-P-S dot com. And click the Meet the Team button on the homepage. Now here's Jim and Chris with today's show. Hello, welcome to the Retirement and IRA Show Q&A edition for this week. I've got uh, a little scratch in my throat, so I apologize if I sound a little bit different. I've got my Ricola and my ice water handy, though, so I'm pretty sure we'll be able to make it through just fine. I've got a set of questions. These will be um, questions from down south in Florida, since that's where Jim is still. He's joining us from his uh, the remote Florida recording suite in his mother's home. I'm in the regular old home office, but uh, I don't have a lot of insight as to what questions we're going to get today, other than I'm sure we're going to get some Social Security and Irma to start with, and then Jim will bring forth whatever he was able to dig up down there in lovely Florida when he's not uh, walking on the beach. So, Jim, uh, did you did you brush the feet off, the sand off your feet before you came back into your mom's house? Actually, the weather has not been very beach like for Florida. Really, but I I did for those. I, I know why Chris is mentioning this. We had a group meeting just before we started recording this podcast. It is uh, the fifteenth, the day after Thanksgiving. At, no, <laughs> Valentine's Day, not Thanksgiving. Um, it's the you, 15th of February. Yeah, I don't so know why. those You always mix up I always screw up Thanksgiving and Valentine's, and Valentine's Day. Day. I, those two. I not have just, no idea why. They're not even related. I love yeah. turkey. Maybe that's why. No, I don't know. Yeah. No other holidays get swapped, but somehow always Thanksgiving and Valentine's Day every year get swapped. <laughs> and he's right, Chris. I mean, listeners, Chris is right. Uh, I, I screw up. Not the actual holiday. I don't cook a turkey on Valentine's Day and, and give a hot-shaped cod on Thanksgiving. But my mind, for years, long before my stroke, I, used, I, I mess up Valentine's Day and Thanksgiving. I have no idea why. Okay, anyways, uh, I mentioned to everybody on the group meeting that I walked seven miles on the beach over the weekend. Uh, the beach is... Um, Siesta Key Beach, uh, just outside of Sarasota, which has this incredibly, incredibly soft white sand. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And I set my little uh, all trails app and walked up and down the beach, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And when I finally got hungry and wanted to go grab a bite to eat, um, all trails have said I went seven miles. So I told Chris and staff that if you ever walk seven miles on a beach on sand with bare feet, it really it, it works your legs. I hike all the time, folks. It it just feels different. Your your whole legs and muscles, and I think it's the bare feet thing and the soft sand. Yeah. So in a perfect world, I would be doing that again this weekend, folks. But this weekend is actually supposed to be only in the 60s and, and rainy. Mm-hmm. Uh, they got some sort of storm coming in across the Gulf. So uh, I might try to get another seven miles on Sarasota's Siesta Key Beach tomorrow afternoon. It takes like an hour to drive. The traffic out here, oh, my God, Chris, misery. You think Colorado traffic's bad, which it is. <clears throat> it is Florida traffic. It, it ain't pretty. It's uh, it's bad. So the beach itself, according to Google, is I think 15 or 18 miles from my mom's house. It, it takes north of an hour for us to get there. Oh, wow. So, oh, yeah, you just sit <laughs> at light after light. And there's just so many people. But nonetheless, it's 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 nice. I, I enjoy it. Um, totally different walking the beach than hiking the mountains of Colorado, uh, obviously. Uh, In the mountains, I have good uh, medium hiking boots, carrying a pack, and in the Rocky Mountains, looking at huge mountains all around me for the most part. Uh, Here, everything is flat on the beach. It's it's a different type of beauty. You see the ocean and the sand, uh, which in and of itself is is quite beautiful in a different way, but no hills. It's just flat. Mm -hmm. So you walk along the sand to get that... um, different type of muscle workout. And again, I'm 60 years old, so it, it just feels different. So different type of beauty and women in bikinis. So you get to look at them as well. Uh, so you don't get to see that in the mountains of Colorado. So Not too overall, the beach is, is different. So I like it. So hopefully I'll be able to do it again tomorrow before I leave. Because uh, God's not helping out with the weather this weekend. Mm, that's too bad. Because that is a beautiful beach. I've been there several times. Oh, you have been to yeah. Sarasota, the uh, Siesta Key Beach. Yep, yep. Yeah. So hopefully I can make it there tomorrow afternoon for if if I feel like dealing with an hour drive to go eighteen miles. Um, but but I may do that. Anyways, folks, that's about it. But things down here in Florida are going well. Mom's doing good. My sister's enjoying her. Uh, little vacation they went on a cruise her and her boyfriend so overall things are things are good okay so let's get into our questions we're going to lead with a social security question irma question and then for the new question of the week uh we only got two new questions of the week in uh one is the irma question which you will answer the other is a GPO question. So we'll do a GPO question as the new question of the week. And we'll start with a Social Security and an Irma question. Okay. All right. Which one do you want first, uh, Chris? Mm, let's do Social Security first. Okay. This one came in through the website. Um, so we will reach out to them. We'll most likely turn this podcast into a written um, answer on the website as well, help with my social 
but Jacob will reach out to this person and let them know that they can actually listen to the answer if they uh, don't want to wait for you to have a chance to write your answer. Um, they are from, well, they give us a hint, obviously, because they're not podcast listeners. They found us through a web search. See if I can think of a, God, I can't, oh, this state used to be known as the Indian Territory. This is going back to the 1800s. Kansas? Close. Choose another barren, <laughs> um, grass-filled state. Oklahoma? Oklahoma. Okay. It begins, my dad passed away at age 68, and he was collecting Social Security. My mom is 58, and she has two children under the age of 16. One, in fact, just turned 16. Will she be able to collect 75% of her husband's Social Security, his dad? She checked her account today, and they told her that they only gave her $225. That's not near what she should be collecting. Is that just her child in care credits? Because she has children under the age of 16 still at home? Please help. We don't know what's going on. I think there's enough moving parts in this. Uh-huh. It's pretty interesting. You might be able to clarify what that 225 is, which I know what it is. Uh-huh. It's the death benefit. Uh-huh. But you might be able to clear up and help these, not podcast listeners, but people who found helpwithmysocialsecurity.com. Yeah. So first of all, sorry to hear about your dad. That's that's rough, especially when he leaves young children behind under 16. Um so, as you mentioned, he was collecting his Social Security. So, um, there is, and whether he was collecting or not, when a person passes away, when they are fully insured under the Social Security system, they um, leave behind a potential survivor benefit for spouses or children under the age of 18 or under 19 if they are still in high school. And... Um, there's some unique rules that will apply depending on the age of the spouse they leave behind and the age of the children. So in this particular case, um, since he was collecting already, but the, your mother was only 58, she wasn't yet collecting a spousal benefit on his record. So she was likely not collecting anything at all at this point. He passed away. Jim's right that I think that 225, which if you go back and check it again, I bet it was 255 because the lump sum death benefit is 255. And as soon as Social Security is notified, they automatically pay that lump sum, which isn't substantial, but it's $255 that goes to either the spouse that was living in the house with the deceased person, or if there isn't a spouse, it would go to a child. But I bet it was 255 instead of 225. Now I suspect the reason why that was all that was deposited is because they aren't done processing the application for the rest. And hopefully there was an application put in. And I say that because if your mother was older and had been collecting a spousal benefit on his record before he died, 
Once they were notified of the death, they would have automatically converted her spousal benefit into the larger survivor benefit. But when he passed away and she hadn't been in the system claiming yet, she has to proactively file a claim for survivor benefits. They do not start automatically. The death benefit piece happens automatically because that is paid out regardless of age. But the survivor benefit, they don't assume that you want to start it right away because there's different reasons my, you might want to wait before you turn it on. So um, make sure that she's actually filed an application. And if she does, if she did, which I suspect that's the case, um, it's probably just still in process and they will make her whole. In other words, once the payment gets paid, uh, once the uh, application is fully processed, any months they missed because they didn't start it right away and in time, they will pay to her in a lump sum. So those of you who are kind of uh, into Social Security probably realize she's not yet 60, which is generally the youngest age where you can collect a survivor benefit. I talk about her filing because of the children's age. When the children are, when there's at least one child under the age of 16, the surviving spouse can file for 75% of the deceased worker's benefit at any age. So that's why she is able to claim at 58. She technically, if she was disabled, could have claimed as early as 50. But because she has a child in care, a child under 16 at home, a child from the marriage, I'm assuming, that she is able to collect 75% of the benefit because the system assumes she's there caring for the child of the deceased worker. Not only that, the children each can collect up to 75% of what the deceased person was collecting. Now, you said there's multiple children, and when that's the case, then there is a family maximum. It's not like they're going to pay out three or four times the 75%. So there will be some limitations there, but all the kids under 18 or 19, if they're still going to high school, and the spouse because there's at least one child under 16, all of those beneficiaries are eligible to receive survivor benefits to some degree from your dad's work record. So you need to verify. I think the biggest help you could give to your mom is make sure that she has put in an application for benefits for herself and all the children under 18 or 19 if they're still in high school. So... The 255, I think, was just a initial payment, or hopefully it's not that she hadn't filed for benefits because that needs to happen right away. The good news is if this just all happened suddenly here recently, there is some retroactive filing capabilities uh, here. So if she hasn't filed an official application for benefits, she needs to do that immediately and try to have them backdate it to when when your father passed away but it sounds like this might have happened very recently so maybe there isn't you know it hasn't hasn't been missed and and maybe the application is in process and uh money will start being deposited here shortly so hopefully that's helpful and uh not a common occurrence 
there's uh there's not only is there a child under the age of 16 but we've also got a fairly large age gap where the younger spouse wasn't of age to claim social security yet normally when the older spouse passed away um but because of the child and care provision with the child under 16 that opens the door to a benefit for her now you didn't say whether she's working or not so I'll say one last thing her social security benefit that she might be eligible to receive is going to be uh, limited by the earnings test if she's working and earning more than the annual amount. So just so no survivor benefits also can fall under the limitations of the earnings test. Um, So just throwing that out there just in case. Was that my cue? That's your cue. Excellent. All righty, let's get to Irma. This one is long-winded to ask a simple question. He's probably uh, following the gym approach, <laughs> not the pithy Chris approach. But anyways, uh, his hint, he doesn't give the answer, so I guessed it in my head, and I was wrong because I had to Google it. But you don't Google. See if you can guess it. I live in a state on the East Coast. That's not his hint. says, my hint is, our state bird is the goldfinch. Hmm. It's not the cardinal? Like the goldfinch. A hundred different states have the cardinal as their... Uh, Goldfinch, boy, I don't... um, Tennessee. No, I think Tennessee is the cardinal. East coast, east coast. Oh, all the way, like, on the coast. It's touching water. So, for all of us who grew up out west, everything east of the Mississippi is east coast just just so you know <laughs> whether it touches the atlantic yeah there's or no t- touching the water has nothing to do with our understanding of what east coast means so just letting you know uh so touching the water goldfinch um uh south carolina no hmm. i thought it would have been maryland i don't know why but that pumped into my head and then i thought wait a minute that's the oriole uh, you know, the Baltimore Orient. So uh, I had to Google it. Three states have the goldfinch as a state bird. Iowa, Washington State, neither of which are on the East Coast. Um, but the answer, New Jersey. Hmm. Yeah. New Interesting. Jersey. Learn something new every day. See what you learn on the retirement and IRA show. Not only Social Security, IRMA, IRAs, annuities, the fun number approach to retirement planning. Uh, you find out the state bird of New Jersey. Okay, I have a simple question regarding Irma. I retired in 2022 and just applied for Medicare. I turned 65 in March. In 2022, our income was above the first Irma threshold. However, I was retired as part of a reduction, though I was paid for the full year. So in 2023, our income was still well below the IRMA threshold. This year, 2024, our income is still fairly low. Um, I'm skipping a lot of it because it's a long email. So... I'm thinking I should appeal my IRMA surcharge 
as we won't be above the surcharge threshold again, at least until one of us is no longer here. As a single filer, we most likely will be above the threshold due to required minimum distributions. So my question is easy. I was just approved for Medicare awaiting the package of info. If I want to appeal my IRMA surcharge, when can I do so? Thanks. I hope you guys can answer this for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so generally what happens is first IRMA, income-related monthly adjustment amount, which is the Medicare premium surcharge. If your modified adjusted gross income is over a certain level, they charge you more for your Medicare premiums. That's the short description. So just getting people up to speed. So when you have a life-changing event, like he's talking about, a work reduction or work stoppage, retirement falls into that category, you can ask Social Security to ignore the year they would normally use as a measure. In this case, for 2024, they would usually look at 2022's modified adjusted gross income when he said he was still working and they paid him for the whole year pushing them up into the first IRMA tier. But you can appeal it through the SSA 44 and ask them to use a more recent year, like 23 or 24, as the measurement because of this life-changing event. And it sounds like he would. this would be a nice, clean application and totally get approved. His question is, when can I appeal it? Now, I'm surprised he doesn't know, he hasn't gotten the official notice. And the reason I say that is, In the year you turn 65, and then every year thereafter, every December, people usually get a letter from Medicare telling them what their Medicare premiums will be for the upcoming year. Obviously, if you're over 65, you want to know because that's what they're going to start charging you in January. But you get this letter usually, even the the December when you're 64, if you're going to turn 65 the very next year, which you typically do the year after you're 64. That sounded kind of silly the way I said it. Um, so at that point, when they that's when they have made the official determination of what your IRMA would be. And at that point, you can file the SSA 44 and appeal it. Until they tell you what it's going to be, there's nothing to appeal is usually. So there's a lot of people who try to be more proactive than this and not wait till they get that letter. But there's no determination until the letter has been sent out to appeal. So you kind of have to wait. Um, For him, I think he could appeal right away because he must have just not gotten the letter or missed it or something like that. His Medicare premiums were determined already in December of 2023. They determined in March when he went on Medicare what his premiums would be. Somehow he just missed the notification of what that would be. So he can appeal it right now. But for those of you trying to be looking and seeing it coming down the road, right? Oh, oh my gosh, I've got all these earnings. I'm going to pay Irma, but I want to be real proactive and file my SSA 44 ahead of time. You can't. They don't even release the proper SSA 44 for you to file until really late in the year anyway. So... um, it, it it's just kind of a waiting game. Now, just so you know, because obviously there's a short time frame, and this isn't talking to this person because they weren't claiming so, uh, Medicare till March. If you're going to be on Medicare in January of the upcoming year and you get a notice that you're going to have to pay IRMA, 
you need to contact them and file the appeal immediately, either with the SSA 44 form or, um, you know, go in and they can, you can call them also. There's different ways of, of requesting this. And sometimes it'll take them a little time to approve it if it gets approved. So they're going to charge you the IRMA for a, a one, two, three months. If they approve your appeal and they give you IRMA relief, they will make an adjustment to essentially pay you back. So be aware that it's it's hard to get the appeal filed and approved in time for them not to charge you IRMA at least in January. And sometimes it lingers on a little longer than that. So just be aware of that. It's too bad they don't time it a little differently so people knew enough ahead of time where they could get all the appeals done before they try to charge you in January for your Medicare premiums. But that's just not the way the timeline happens to work. So uh, for him, he can file it immediately because his, his IRMA has been determined and he can just contact them. They can tell him what it is. Maybe by some mysterious uh, luck, it, they are not applying it and he won't have to do it. But it sounds like he's pretty convinced he's up in the first IRMA tier for this year naturally. And he'll have to file the SSA 44 for some relief. But it sounds like he should get it based on his story. Was that my cue? Yes, sir. Yeah, excellent. All right. I How about if we start using a, using a code word? You want me to use... How about just a little like doorbell sound? Ding. How, how about if I say um, goldfinch? Or <laughs> yeah, yeah. No one will notice the the secret word. So you wrap up, and I can hear you saying. So that is the answer for this social security question. Goldfinch. Yeah. It just people will pick up on it. You well, could do they, over and out. You don't think they would pick up on a uh, doorbell? <laughs> or ding? <laughs> ding. It's possible. I know. I, our listeners are quite astute. I think that they will pick up on that quite quickly. How about this? Hear ye, hear ye. Hear ye, hear ye. That's your signal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, they won't notice that at all. Was that Homer Simpson? Yes. <laughs> okay. I thought that was Homer Simpson. It says a lot about me if I recognize Homer Simpson's voice. <clears throat> Okay, this next question, we only got two new questions of the week. One of them I wanted to, actually, I am going to answer the the second one, not this week. I I got a hold of an ERISA attorney for some answers uh, that I wanted a little clarification on before I address that question. I thought it was a good question, though. So we'll probably get to that one next week. All right, this one is a GPO question, Chris, even though it's technically a Social Security question. Uh, So you'll be handling the answer. Um, His hint is uh, interesting. He says, I am from the state that would be considered the down under equivalent of Texas. The state that would be considered the Think of a different country. I, I He's currently living in the U.S. I'll give you a hint. I have no idea where he's going with that hint. Queensland, Australia. What does that have to do with Texas? No idea. I'm just reading his hint. Okay. <laughs> okay. 
<laughs> Sorry if that went over my head. I'm not sure where that Told was. you. I don't vet these, Chris. <laughs> okay. I, I don't vet them at all. Um, he says, I am from the state that would be considered the down under equivalent of Texas. I, I guess you know how oh, Texas so is. So he's in Australia, in- but he's in, mm-hmm. in Queensland. That must be kind of in the middle at the bottom of Australia. Yeah. Like and he's Texas. currently living in St. Louis here in the United States. Oh. Oh. Okay. Got it. So I'm guessing he's Australian. Well, yeah. he must be Australian yeah. because he begins. Yes. Good day. Mm-hmm. Uh, good day. How do they say it? Good day. I don't think you should try that. Well, it's got little G mm-hmm. apostrophe day. Yeah. Well, you try it. I, I don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> we need Crocodile Dundee, didn't exactly. he? You could get that sound. Mm-hmm. Didn't he always say good day? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I Whatever. He began good day, Jim and Chris. So I guess he's Australian, living in St. Louis. It was his hint, not mm-hmm. mine, folks. Don't Don't kill the messenger. All right. Sadly. His wife passed away 12 months ago, he begins with. So all jokes aside, listener, we do want to convey our sympathy, uh, as we did with the other listener. Chris and I try to have fun on the podcast. uh, And this is difficult to as financial planners, because sadly, uh, many people that we have formed relationships uh, have passed away. So uh, you do have our sympathies. My wife passed away 12 months ago from a very rare form of cancer leaving me to care for our two young children. I have been listening to the podcast for the past few months and wanted you to know I have learned so much and you have helped me understand many important issues related to planning in the aftermath of my wife's, my loss of my wife. I truly appreciate what you do for all your listeners. Uh, So thank you, listener. I'll speak on behalf of Chris and myself. We do appreciate those kind words. So here's this question. Now you can probably see why I elevated it to the top, Chris. I'm trying to help him. Mm -hmm. So it says, my question is on Social Security survivors' benefits. My children are receiving this on my late wife's record. Mm -hmm. I'm just in my mid-40s and understand I can take a survivor's benefit on her record in the future. But I am subject to GPO as I work for a state university employer that offers a pension. What he doesn't say is if he's collecting that pension, but my gut tells me, Chris, he's only in his Mm mid-40s. He's not collecting it yet. He goes on to say, I have calculated that the government pension offset, that's what GPO stands for, listeners. Chris will explain in a minute what that is, will completely eliminate the survivor benefit of approximately $30,000 in today's dollars. Mm -hmm. I love my work and my students and would consider pushing retirement from my assumed age 67 out to age 70. So here, Chris and listeners, is someone, again, dealing with the loss of his wife. He's only in his mid-40s. He thought maybe he would retire at 67. But he also loves his job, and he's willing to work longer. Very typical that we see here. So he asks, here's his question, Chris. Will I be able to take the survivor benefit on my wife's record? between ages 67 and 70, if I retired at 70, 
because the earnings test won't apply until I retire? Or is GPO going to eliminate this possibility as well? I'm just doing this in anticipation of a future non-covered pension from age 70 onwards. He's just trying to figure out what's he going to be receiving after age 70. I think you're going to be able to give him a Mm -hmm. little bit of good news. I don't know, but I'll let you take it from there. Maybe I'm misunderstanding this. No, I think so. And I think he might be missing something. Um, Well, we'll see. I might have a potential good news um, and some specific good news. (laughs) So, So I'll give you all the news and you can decide. So first of all, for GPO, the government pension offset, that says that if you have a non-covered pension, which is what he has, uh, he's describing at a, I believe, a university, a lot of school and other government employment, they have an alternative pension instead of Social Security. If you have one of those, they change how they treat your eligibility for survivor benefits from uh, your spouse who might have had Social Security, which is the case here. And they say that your Social Security survivor benefit will be reduced $2 for every $3 of the non-covered pension. But this only applies when you're collecting the non-covered pension or if that non-covered pension is a defined contribution plan version. It only starts when you've taken the first dollar out of that uh, account. So for those of you who have a non-covered pension that's not a monthly pension, but rather a 401k-style pile of money, you still have GPO effects, but they don't kick in until you start receiving the pension, and they define that as when you become eligible and start getting dollars out of it. So between 67 and 70, if he were to continue working that long, let me first clue people in as to why he's not asking about collecting it before 67. It's because of the earnings test. Before 67, if he's still working and he's earning a decent amount, his um, survivor benefit would be wiped out by the earnings test. So it's probably not practically going to pay, pay him anything, even though he would be eligible as early as age 60 if he didn't have kids. But if he's got young kids under 16, like the previous uh, email that came in, That actually unlocks the door to survivor benefits, 75% level, up until they turn 16 for the spouse, the surviving spouse, but he's working. We weren't sure about the last one, but this, in this case, he's clearly still working and probably making a decent amount of money at the university. And so maybe he's not asking about currently, but if he wasn't earning much now, he could actually collect a survivor benefit currently if it wasn't wiped out from the earnings test because of the child and care provision. But let's fast forward to what he was asking at 67. Between 67 and 70, if he's still working and not taking out his pension, he will not have a GPO offset. So he can collect in full and the earnings test will be gone and he can collect the survivor benefit for those three years and work happily and that's just extra money coming in that he can do with as he pleases. Then at 70, when he retires, I'm assuming at that point he would start his non-covered pension and the GPO would kick in and 
by his math, eliminate the survivor benefit, which some of you are saying, how is that fair? How is that fair? Well, for the same reasons that if he had Social Security and his Social Security was more than his wife's, he would lose his wife's at that point, too, because you don't keep both. You only keep the higher. And in this case, his non-covered pension is the higher. So uh, there is kind of a window of opportunity there, but there might be a crack. That's why I said there was potential good news. Depending on what his situation is between, you know, now and 67 even, there might be opportunities to collect a survivor benefit, especially immediately if he's not making enough for some reason to eliminate it completely with the earnings test um, because of the young kids. Now, I will say that the two young kids alone are going to collect 75% each of her, his wife's, survivor benefit. So there wouldn't, even if he was eligible for some, it's not going to add a whole lot to the pot because of the family maximum. So my guess is he's, his two kids are receiving benefits and that's it. And he hasn't claimed any for him because he knows the earnings test would wipe it out or at least the vast majority. And it doesn't gain them anything by him claiming right now, even though he technically could if they're under 16 years old. So they're going to collect until they're 18 or 19, depending on if they're in high school after 18 or not. Then uh, benefits will stop, and then he will claim benefits at 67 when he turns full retirement age and the earnings test is not in play anymore, collect 100% of her survivor benefit with cost of living adjustments applied between 67 and 70 if he keeps working, or even if he doesn't keep working, he can collect it from 67 to 70, at least until he turns on his non-covered pension. And at that point, GPO, by his math, wipes it out. So hopefully that adds some clarity to his situation and, and provides him a little bit of good news to this overall financial status. Okay, hey, perfect. And I picked up on my cue when you paused, so that was good. That, that was extra good, except you interrupted my uttering of the goldfinch. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I said it, but you didn't hear it, so... <laughs> We, we listeners, we need to work on this whole handoff thing, don't we? <laughs> well, maybe you should call me. Say not Goldfinch. We we got to start using our fighter pilot tag names again, or whatever we call. It. What, oh, what is yeah. it? Our uh, I don't know what fighter pilots call their nicknames. What do they call them? The call, call signs. signals. The call signs. Call signs. Mm-hmm. Uh, my call sign is Bugs. Mm-hmm. Should have been Bugsy, but it's Bugs. And Chris is Cowboy. Uh, if you don't know what we're talking about, I think about a year and a half ago. Uh, oh, some Longer than that. Fight. That was pre-COVID. Was it pre? No. I'm pretty sure that was pre-COVID. I don't think it was pre-COVID. But a somehow we got on the subject of it, and a fighter pilot gave us some call scenes and a very nice explanation of how. And there's a whole rigid set of rules these fighter pilots have to follow. And it's very difficult to, once they give you your your other squadron members, I guess, give you a, a nickname or call scene or whatever it, it is. Uh, you can't get it changed. So um, I have to be bugs. So maybe you just say bugs. And people will think maybe you have a lot of bugs in maybe. the room yeah. you are in. <laughs> How about cowboy okay. out? All right. Anyways, we've got some regular questions. I hope to get through three. Let's see how much luck we will have. Uh, they tend to be annuity related. We're getting a lot of annuity questions, and these are not recent questions. These are going back to October and November. 
Um, but anyways, this one, since we like to do an annuity question as well, because an annuity for all intent and purposes, folks, at least the annuities that Chris and I favor, lifetime stream of guaranteed income to help cover your minimum dignity floor of food, utilities, transportation, housing, and healthcare. An annuity is very similar to Social Security in the sense that Social Security is a lifetime stream of guaranteed income. So anyways, we started trying to do an annuity question as well, and we got this back way back in October. It says, my friend entered into a fixed deferred annuity as she wanted to be sure her money did not run out. So let me pause there. I'm making, when you hear the rest of the statement, his sentence is one sentence question. I think the annuity that I'm assuming she purchased is correct. And I want to explain there is a distinct difference between a deferred annuity and a deferred income annuity. One is a noun, one is a verb. I believe he's referencing the noun. Because he says a fixed deferred annuity. That's very specific. There is the difference. Even though it sounds nuanced, you guys got to remember this. There's a huge difference between a deferred annuity and a deferred income annuity. A deferred annuity is a noun. It's just a product you're going to go out there and you're going to buy. And the income is being, quote unquote, deferred. Hence the name deferred annuity. But you can take your money out at any time. It is completely liquid. Now, there's a big asterisk next to that. The insurance company will often, even if you buy a quote-unquote fee-based, in other words, it doesn't pay the agent or broker any commission, you buy a fee-based fixed deferred annuity, there'll still be a penalty period where the insurance company is going to impose a penalty. A lot of people in the, uh, annu- not in the annuity world, but a lot of people in, in the financial world think the penalty is to compensate the insurance company for the commission they give a traditional broker who sells an annuity. And that, to a strong degree, is true. And that's why they're shocked, Chris, when they find out well, what if I buy one of these commission-free fixed annuities? I'm not talking an investment-only variable annuity, uh, IOVA, IOVA for short. Those types of annuities, you can buy them on Monday, close them on Tuesday. Through a um, registered investment advisor, they're fee-based, commission-free IOVAs. You can open them on Monday and literally close them on Tuesday. But you can't if you buy a commission-free, quote-unquote commission-free, fixed deferred annuity. And the reason is, even if you bought a commission-free one, you're still going to have a penalty period on them because the insurance company is going to take those dollars and invest them in bonds. And they're going to buy bonds, uh, hopefully, longer term. They need some assurance. If they're going to go out and take your money and buy an 8, 10, 12-year bond, you're not going to turn around one or two years later and tell them you want your money back. If they were that liquid and easy, they would have to buy very short-term bonds, one, two-year maturity, and they wouldn't be able to give you much interest. These fixed deferred annuities 
fixed indicates it's going to pay a fixed rate of uh, interest. They generally pay interest greater than a 10-year bond. The only way the insurance company can do that is a little bit of assurance, assurance, not insurance, assurance, you're not going to cash it in. So whether you buy a commission or quote-unquote commission-free fixed deferred annuity, there'll still be a penalty period. But the long and the short of it is, you can literally buy it on Monday and close it on Tuesday. You won't do it because you have to pay a significant penalty, but it is relatively liquid. And once the penalty period is over, you can keep that annuity. You generally cannot add to it. There are a handful of deferred annuities that are called flexible premium deferred annuities. The vast majority of annuities are not flexible premium, allowing additional dollars in and additional dollars out. So anyways, I like to dive a little bit deep and teach people. So when I read Chris that he said, my friend bought a fixed deferred annuity, I'm thinking a simple annuity where the friend of theirs put money in. It's going to be earning a fixed rate of interest. He doesn't indicate if it's an indexed annuity tied to the performance of a market index or if it's paying a stated um, interest rate. I don't know. But he did not say a fixed or, yeah, a fixed deferred income annuity. Mm -hmm. Why don't you, because you're much more pithier than me, explain the verb annuity? Deferred income annuity. How is that one different? And it's a huge difference. Mm-hmm. But how is that one different, Chris? Yeah. So the the key difference is there's um, when you buy the deferred income annuity, DIA, it's for one purpose alone, and that is income. It's just waiting. It's deferring until the income starts. So as compared to an immediate annuity, that would be the the cousin of the deferred income annuity is an immediate annuity. Uh, But an immediate annuity has to start paying out within 13 months of you buying it. So once you're beyond that 13-month period, if the income for your annuity starts after that, and that's all you get as far as benefits, essentially, or you're, you're getting the income, but it's starting two years, five years, 10 years, 15 years from now, whatever it might be. The key difference is there's not an account balance that belongs to you anymore. You have given the money to the insurance company, and that is an irrevocable decision. What they're going to give you in return is the income on the agreed upon date. And you may have some flexibility as to the start date on it, but it's going to be income. So it is already annuitized. It's had something done to that money. It's been converted from a lump sum available to you that has liquidity into an income promise from the insurance company itself. It just is deferred instead of immediate. And that's where the name comes from. Right. And whenever we say noun or verb to us, we're referencing and trying to teach you a noun deferred annuity has not been annuitized. There's no action. You can close it at any time. Yes, you may have to pay a penalty for a certain number of years, and the penalty period is usually 5 to 15 years, depending on which type you buy. 
but there will be a penalty period on that annuity. The verb references an action. You took action. You told the insurance company, I no longer want an account balance. I want guaranteed income. So a deferred income annuity has been annuitized and you're going to be guaranteed a certain amount of income. And you'll know because the insurance company will tell you exactly what they'll pay you. And you tell them when you buy it, I want to turn it on in five years, eight years, 10 years, 12 years, 15 years, whatever. You tell them when you're going to turn it on. They will tell you exactly how much income you will receive, no matter what the market or economy does between the day you buy it and the day income begins. Interest rates could go through the roof. You won't get any more money. Interest rates could crash to where they were just a few years ago. You won't get any less money. It's all fixed and guaranteed. Okay, his question. He says, I know this is going to show my ignorance on annuities, but I'm wondering, is hers a normal annuity? She claims there are no fees at all, and it's guaranteed to grow at 5%. I'm hoping to hear your thoughts on her annuity and the benefits or disadvantages of her product. You don't share enough, listener, but you share enough, and I know enough about annuities. I think I'm going to be able to teach you a little bit about what I think she has But without more specificity, I can't say for certain this is exactly what she has. But from what you told me, she has the noun deferred annuity. It has an embedded income benefit in it. Many, many deferred annuities will have what is called a rider, R-I-D-E-R a rider that you can attach for an additional cost that will guarantee you a certain amount of income from that annuity in the future. It will be one of the withdrawal annuities we have talked briefly about on previous shows recently. And it will allow your friend to withdraw a certain amount in the future from her annuity. And if she lives long enough and the annuity runs out, the insurance company will continue to pay her. Now, these riders do have an additional fee. So I don't think your friend has that particular type of annuity because you are telling me she told you there's no fees. Let me tell you, there are fees. She just doesn't see them. Because the insurance company is on to this. If you purchase a rider, there is an explicit fee that in most deferred annuities, the nouns, give you the ability to buy this income benefit if you want for a very explicit fee. However, if you don't add that income rider, fixed annuities have no outward fee. But does that mean, Chris, they're free? No. No. (laughs) Just don't even think about it. No. The fee is rolled into what is called the yield spread. Mm -hmm. And they don't have, they being the insurance company, don't have to disclose what they are inherently anticipating earning. But when they quote 
the interest that your listener, excuse me, your friend is going to receive. And most fixed annuities will reset the interest you earn every year. I don't believe your client, excuse me, your friend has a MIGA, multi-year guaranteed annuity, because MIGAs do not come with this quote-unquote guarantee to grow at 5%. This gets confusing because I don't know for certain she might have a MIGA, but my gut tells me she doesn't. I'll explain in a minute what I think your friend has. When you add an income rider on top of it for the guaranteed withdrawal benefit, they will have an explicit fee generally 70 basis points to 125 basis points. But you're telling me your friend told you she has no fees, but she's looking for stated income from it. So some insurance companies have come out with fixed deferred annuities, not deferred income annuities, where the rider, if you will, is actually embedded into the product. And they'll say for no additional fee, you're going to get this income benefit as well. There's one insurance company in particular who has a lot of annuities like this. Allianz, I'll just call them out. And I don't mean it in a negative sense. They are known to have a lot of annuities that will embed their income benefit for quote unquote free. But it's not free. If you compare the amount of interest that you receive on one of these during the deferral phase, because your income benefit is ultimately based on how much your annuity grows to. If you compare what you can receive in potential interest on one of these annuities where the withdrawal benefit is embedded in, so there's no outward 1% fee, for instance, it's less interest than if you bought an annuity without the income benefit. So even though there's no outward fee, there's a yield spread. It's, it's, it's baked into the product. So she'll most likely be receiving a lower amount of interest if this is the type of annuity she has. When you said it's guaranteed to grow at 5%, you never said for a stated number of years. That's why I don't think it's a MIGA, multi-year guaranteed annuity. I don't think she bought a five-year, six-year. There's no 10-year MIGA paying guaranteed 5%. So I, I don't think she has a MIGA, Chris, multi-year guaranteed annuity. I just believe that she has one of these deferred income annuities with a withdrawal benefit. And if she does have that, it's not guaranteed the account balance is not guaranteed to grow at 5%. What I call the pretend account. 
That's what the insurance company is going to grow at 5% if she has this type of annuity. The pretend account often is called the income base. So you'll have two balances with this type of annuity. Your actual account balance, earning a stated amount of interest that generally resets every year, and the pretend account or quote-unquote income base that is often guaranteed to grow at a stated percentage. But the income base is not an account balance your friend can walk away with. And they go to great lengths to disclose this to you. Unfortunately, some people don't quite understand it. The income base is just a hypothetical measure. If her account balance grows at more than the income base, when she's ready to turn on her income, they will give her a stated withdrawal percentage of the higher of her account balance or the pretend account or income base. I think this is the type of annuity she has. I could be wrong. It could also be a MIGA. But if she has the type of annuity that I think, the 5% growth is what her pretend account will earn each year. Come hella high water, the pretend account will grow at 5%. When she goes to turn the income on, Most of these withdrawal annuities, the withdrawal benefit will be based on your age. Some are age band, like if you turn it on 60 to 65, 66 to 70, 71 to 75, they'll age band it. And then if you turn it on in these bands, you'll get a four and a half, four and three quarters, five, five and a half. And the longer you wait, the more withdrawal benefit you'll get. And some come right down to the age. If you turn it on at 71, you get this much. 72, you get this much. The withdrawal percentage will be based on the higher of the two, the pretend account growing at a steady 5% or your actual account balance growing at whatever the interest earned over the deferral period was. One thing to look for on the pretend account Some grow at compound, some grow at simple. And many people, no listener to this podcast, no astute VG type listener would fall victim to that, Chris. But I have seen many non-VGs with these annuities not knowing the difference between the pretend account and their account balance and not paying attention to see if the pretend account is growing at in this example, 5% compound or 5% simple. Huge difference, Mm -hmm. as you all know. And sometimes the pretend account only grows for a stated number of years, and then it stops growing. So every annuity is different, and you have to look and be careful. But is this a normal annuity? Yes, to answer your question. Is it a simple annuity? No, they can be very complex. Is there no fees, quote unquote? Absolutely not. If she's saying there's no fees, she doesn't quite understand. The fee is baked into how much interest they're giving her. If she, if they, yeah, the insurance this, company. Could this though 
maybe from her description be a MIGA paying 5% and there's no overt external fee. There's the spread, but that's like saying, you know, when I buy bananas at the store, there's a cost because the store paid less for the bananas than it I could did. be. But he remember his first sentence. My friend entered into a fixed deferred annuity as she wanted to be sure that her money did not run out. Migas do not have a true, withdrawal true, benefit. True. Yeah. So that's why I think there's not enough info here. Yeah. If it's not as something as simple as a MIGA with a 5% contracted rate, then there's something else going on here that isn't as obvious. And and it may very well, I think you probably nailed it when you were talking about the, the annuities that have um, income benefits and there's not an overt expressed external fee named because it's embedded in a, in a broader spread on the back end. So they're paying less interest than they otherwise might to compensate for that income benefit. That's absolutely probably what it is. And it's sad that the insurance companies can get away with this and say, you know, we have a fee Mm -hmm. list or I've seen a quote unquote free rider. Oh, I get so angry when I see that technically they're right. But if you look at the interest, they're making it up on the yield spread. Maybe the one with the 1% rider fee is paying 2% higher interest. I mean, extreme example, but you got to look at this. So your friend is paying a fee. If she thinks she isn't, that the insurance company is just doing this because they got nothing better to do and they love her, she's naive. She is paying a fee. I don't feel it's a MIGA because she's... He said she wants to make sure her money doesn't run out. You don't buy a MIGA if you're looking for an income benefit. You would buy one of these mm-hmm. noun withdrawal benefit annuities. And my gut tells me she has one at one of the insurance companies that for marketing purposes, marketing gimmick, if you will, their withdrawal benefit is quote unquote free. And I've seen them advertised as that. Yeah. But it's not. It's being embedded in the yield spread. So that's what I think she has. Anyways, uh, without more information, my guess is as good as yours. But I wanted to teach this listener and all listeners a little bit about those withdrawal benefits. Uh, Do we have time for another question? I have time for one more quick one if you can Let me see. This one might be quick. This is not an annuity question. Um, when you say quick, define quick. Less than five minutes. All right, then we have to do this one, which will be another annuity question. Do you remember we got a question from a listener? They wrote to us to try to add some clarity. Um, I'm going to, I'll read what he's saying, but do you remember the question from a listener who wanted, he was 62 years old. And we couldn't understand why he was contemplating doing this. And I still can't understand why he was contemplating doing this, but I just wanted to answer his question. He was 62 and he said, hey, I'm going to buy a single premium immediate annuity inside an IRA. I am only 62. Mm -hmm. I don't have to take RMDs yet. So I'm going to take the income stream over the rest of my life. Can I just keep the income payments inside an IRA and not realize them, not take them. Oh, I, I do think remember he wanted... that question. Yeah, I do remember yeah. that question. 
And I think, listeners, he wanted to lock in higher interest rates now. So he was hoping to turn this single premium immediate annuity on now at 62, but just keep the payments inside an IRA so he doesn't have to pay taxes on them. Well, we burst his bubble because I had to point out to him the tax code is explicit. Any annuity payments for a period of time greater than 10 years cannot be rolled over, which is essentially what he would be doing with the payouts. They would be coming out of an IRA and then he wants to put them right back into an IRA. You cannot do it. So he burst his bubble. He sent us an email trying to clarify why he wanted to do it. Didn't do a good job clarifying it, but he said a few things that I thought maybe you and I might want to clear the air a little on. Mm -hmm. So he said like this, I will need money to fund my expenses when I retire. He's clarifying why He asked this question, but I hope to retire before age 65. So during that time, I want to qualify for Obamacare, otherwise known as the Affordable Care Act, folks, or ACA. He said, I want the credits until I am eligible for Medicare. You'll often hear them called ACA credits or Obamacare credits. Hence, I need to be very careful when I first retire about realizing income so I can continue to get the government health care subsidy. So far, so good. I think what his, he's saying is correct. If you want to qualify for ACA premium tax credits, annuitizing an IRA into paying you an income stream for the rest of your life is not a good way to do that, at least until age 65, when you're trying to keep your income low enough to qualify for premium tax credits. Mm -hmm. Do you agree, Chris? Yes, which gives us that. That was a reason I didn't contemplate for trying to keep it inside the IRA during the first few years. So I could see now what he was trying to do is shield that income recognition so he could qualify for those credits, even though he started the SPIA. Right. So he then says this, but my Roth IRA, I think, is too small to buy the SPIA. He says, besides, from what I have read, it is not, and he capitalizes not, it is not recommended to buy a spear with Roth money. But if you disagree, could the two of you go down that rabbit hole? Well, I do disagree, mm-hmm. listeners. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know who would say it's not recommended to speatize, if you will, a Roth. Unless your goal... Right is to maximize Roth inheritance? Bingo. I have no problem. I think it's brilliant Mm -hmm. to get a lifetime stream of guaranteed tax-free income. Yours truly has a deferred annuity. I got the noun. With a withdrawal benefit like I just described. Built on a variable, not fixed chassis. I don't want to get deep into the product I have. I've mentioned it in the past. Y'all know I have no, well, I have some, but precious little Social Security and no pension. I bought one of these annuities in 2009, I think it was. Back then, there was just this outrageous living benefit. I told Chris and told you guys, this is too good to be true. This ain't going to be available for very long. And I was right. It's no longer available. But my point is, 
I bought mine inside my Roth. Why? I kind of want lifetime guaranteed tax-free income. So I don't know who would tell you not to annuitize a Roth. I think it's brilliant unless you're looking to maximize your Roth inheritance. What says you, Chris? Yeah, if you're trying to protect the Roth, which I think a lot of financial advisors, advice givers just assume because everyone plays up the long-term tax-free growth that can happen inside of a Roth. But I think people get hung up on leaving it for someone else (laughs) rather than using it for your own benefit and having lifetime tax-free income. I'm not saying, again, it's not an all or nothing. It's not this rule should apply to everyone or that rule. It depends on your circumstances, but there's nothing inherently wrong with having a SPIA that was purchased with Roth dollars so that the income is tax-free. There's nothing inherently wrong with that. You'd want to look at all factors to make sure that approach works best for you. But you just pointed out a good reason for it. You are wanting to spiatize, that's a word we made up, uh, some of your money, but we're trying to navigate around the ACA premium tax credits. Well, here you've got tax-free income that could start right away. You wouldn't have to worry about it accumulating inside, and it's not going to throw you into high AGI and cause you to have issues with IRMA or ACA or or any of those things that that income creates. So, uh, yeah, I yeah, I for this listener and all listeners, I would encourage this listener. You don't indicate how old you are now and when you hope uh, to. I think he said he's uh, 62. Okay, is he 62? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so you only have three years to putz around and try to get uh, ACA credits. He does indicate in the same email, he says, if I'm clever about which investments to sell, I can probably access my brokerage expenses and I can offset gains with losses and keep my income low and qualify for the government subsidy. I think he answered this question right there. You might be able to, for the next couple of years, utilize brokerage assets if getting the full ACA credit is important to you. I'm on uh, the ACA. I'm on Obamacare. I'm 60 years old. I pay $1,100 a month for my premium. It's freaking expensive. I don't get any government subsidy because my income is too high. But I like the Obamacare policies. They've got uh, some good things in them, uh, just expensive things. But uh, that's why I have them. So I can't manipulate my my income. You might be able to. I'm just going to encourage you and everyone who are contemplating a SPIA. This guy clearly needs the income. He knows he doesn't have enough income to cover his minimum dignity floor. It might behoove you to do some conversions after ACA. And buy the SPIA inside a Roth. I don't know what your retirement looks like, but it's worth exploring. Would some select conversions to get, he says his Roth is too small to buy the SPIA. You don't indicate, do you need another 50,000 or do you need another 500,000? I don't know. But it's worth exploring because I personally have no hesitation to tell someone to annuitize a Roth. And if someone feels different, you know, please share it with Chris and I outside of what we said, trying to maximize a Roth inheritance, but a lifetime stream of guaranteed tax-free income. I kind of like that, Chris. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. Anyways, that was his question. Just wanted to clear the air on that. And the reason I wanted to talk about it was this whole Roth thing. No, folks, it's perfectly fine to annuitize a Roth. Yep. Okay. Well, nice mix of questions. Thank you for bringing those. I'm glad you brought yourself off the beach long enough to do the show with me. And uh, You make it sound like the- I'm just lounging on a beach. I went to the beach once since being here. Um, I hope to make it another time. I don't know if it'll be this Friday, tomorrow. But if not, maybe next weekend. But I hope to go to the beach one more time. I'm not. This is a workcation, not a. You can go even when it's in the 60s or 70s. It's still okay. It's not the same. It was. It's nice so warmer. It's supposed to be um, 60s and rainy. 95 percent chance of rain Saturday and Sunday. I don't want to walk the beach in rain. Have you tried it? No, I'm not doing it. And I will say, (laughs) we went out. The I know you have to wrap up, but. It was chilly. It was 62 degrees, and I went, took the dogs out in the evening with my mom about 5, 6 o'clock in the evening. It was still light. It stays, out, it stays light here longer than, than home in Colorado because Colorado is further north, and we are much further south. It was chilly at 62. With a, There was a breeze, and it's all the humidity. The humidity mm-hmm. in the air just – it does. It makes you feel colder. And I was smiling to myself because if it was – Five, six o'clock in the evening in Colorado and 62, we would be feeling so warm. But 62 in Florida, kind of chilly. Yeah, yeah. Surprising, yeah. That's why I don't want to walk the beach in the 60s with pouring rain. No, not going to be a pleasant outing. (laughs) Well, maybe the rain will be warm. (laughs) (laughs) No, and there won't be women in bikinis. So for those two reasons, cold and no bikinis, no, I'm not going to do it this weekend. Okay. I got it. Well, thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody, for listening. If you want to send your own questions to the show, uh, send them to Jim directly, jim at jimhelps.com. That's jim, H-E-L-P-S dot com. And put in the subject line, there's a question for the podcast. And uh, hope to see your question come across our desk and out into the interwebs where everyone can listen to the answer along with you. So we really appreciate all the listeners, and uh, we'll be back with you next week with a brand new show. You have listened to Jim on the radio, read his quotes in the media, and enjoyed his banter on iTunes. But even now you may wonder what sets Jim Salmier and Associates apart from other financial planning companies. The answer is quite simple. Jim's diverse team of professionals specializes in retirement planning. They form a lifelong relationship with you and measure their success not through product sales, but through the security and prosperity you may achieve in your retirement. Jim's entire team shares his unwavering commitment to placing their clients' best interests first while offering their services at fair prices with full disclosures. The professionals at Jim Saulnier & Associates are available to assist you with your retirement planning needs. Visit jimhelps.com to schedule your complimentary coffee and a second opinion meeting. That's jim, H-E-L-P-S, dot com. Or call 970-530-0556. The Retirement and IRA Show represents the words and views of the show hosts exclusively and should not be construed as investment, legal, or tax advice. All information is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. All economic and performance information is historical in nature and is not indicative of any future results. Any indices mentioned on the show are unmanaged and cannot be invested indirectly. Diversification and asset allocation strategies do not assure profit or protect against loss. Never make any investment or financial decisions based on information offered on this show without first consulting your financial, legal, or tax advisor.
Financial planning services offered through Jim Solnier & Associates, LLC, a registered investment advisor.